Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. We are feeling spicy today. Well, there's been a lot of levity going on in the the podcast booth today. That was a big word. Thank you. I'm trying to use some big words today. Um, and so we're just kind of having fun. We might say a few things extra that are off the cuff. And so please try not to hold it all against us today, especially because we're talking about uh, another serious one today, one that we get a lot of questions about. We're talking about Old Testament purity laws, like, like AKA the book of Leviticus, AKA the book that y'all stop reading your Bible in a year plan in because you're like, these are bizarre. And I'll be honest, some of them are mm-hmm. really, really weird, really strange. And so we kind of just like, uh, I think I'm not going to read this book because there's some weird rules in here. And so we're going to try and help us navigate that today. But uh, as, a, as a way of an intro, you know, we love our little icebreaker questions, especially Ailey, the queen of the icebreakers. <laughs> Guys, um, for everyone listening, I just want you all to know that every week I come with an icebreaker question and it gets shot down <laughs> and, every time. And she tries to make it seem like that's on us. <laughs> just come with better icebreaker <laughs> questions, okay? Um, and so today, I, I think this is, I'm curious, I think it's going to apply, but what are some some rules that you had in your house growing up that when you got older you realized, oh, not everyone has the same rule? Anything come to mind? Yeah, if uh, if anybody has listened to this podcast in the past or has met me, uh, you know that I grew up in a rural place and I knew that not everybody did this, but most people that I lived around did do this and it was a rule. So whenever you live in a rural place, a lot of times you have livestock yep. and you have to provide water for said livestock. And a lot of people lived on wells where we were from. We weren't hooked up to like city water or anything like that. And so it was a hard and fast rule that if we were watering the horses or the cows or anything like that, you couldn't put on a load of laundry. You couldn't run the dishwasher because <laughs> it strains the well too much. And then all of a sudden you don't have enough water to, to do either of them. Uh, and it was a big, especially when it was cold. It was way worse whenever it was cold. So in the winter, you had to like coordinate. Hey, when are we watering? When are we doing laundry? And if I ever put a load of laundry on while my dad was out there watering. Oh, mm. Lord have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. And so our rule was you don't get to water the animals and do laundry at the same time. Wow. Mm. wow. We actually used to go in the pool in the winter time <laughs> where I grew up, also in a rural, rural place. Mm, yeah. Mm. Where, where was that? Los Gosh. Angeles. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of that, I this is, has nothing to do with my rule <laughs> that I grew up with, but I I grew up and maybe this just plumbing has changed since then, but we were like, you couldn't flush the toilet while someone was in the shower. Did y'all have that? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the water would get way too hot. Oh yeah. That's like not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Is it just because our like plumbing technology has gotten way better or what? what's changed? I think it is because I lived in a dorm where you couldn't do that and you had to yell hot water <laughs> like every time you mm-hmm. flush the toilet so people could kind of step back from the Dodge shower. Dodge the water. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, ooh, hot. But, but then they redid all the plumbing and it's fine. And now it's like, oh, yeah. I want to thank the person whoever like, whatever invention it was or whatever new plumbing technology that 
makes that not a problem anymore. Like, thank you. If you're listening to this, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for (laughs) inventing that. You are an unsung hero in our (laughs) lives. (laughs) And so for me, my actual rule was that I grew up and it wasn't like a stated rule, but I grew up feeling like and it was demonstrated that you can never buy anything full price. Mm. Yeah. Like we're not just talking about like clothes and shoes and backpacks and like school supplies. We're talking about food, like you go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a coupon for that thing, uh uh-uh. mm. so yep. you're not gonna get it. Mm-hmm. Like we were like, you know, the name brand cereals are up here, like gray. Oh yeah, you want some fruit loops? No, no, no. We got the clear bag, mm-hmm. like three pound bag of generic fruit loops from from Kroger Fruity-os. or from, yeah, whatever. So Fruity-os, yeah. Fruitios, exactly. And so <laughs> and and I'm like, yeah, we never paid full price. And my wife is kind of kind of bougie, bougie background. And so it's like we clash a lot on that now because I'm like, no, no, we we can't pay full price for that. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is on sale. Get that great value brand. That great value brand. <laughs> this is on sale over here. I don't care if it's <laughs> exponentially worse. This is forty five cents off. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna get this mm-hmm. one. So coupons all the time. That's good. That's good. Um, my rule was that there was no singing at the table ever. And <laughs> what? Because <laughs> oh. we would we would sing at the table all the time. Like me and my two little sisters would just be like shoveling food in our mouths and like singing a little tune. And can your sisters sing as well as you? I think they can, okay. but they don't think they can. Jessica and Janice, if you're listening to this. <laughs> You're amazing. You're all J's. Yes. Amazing. Oh my gosh. That's a, yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Um, but yeah, no singing at the table because we'd be just like choking on our food and stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I thought like other kids would just like sing at the table. So I'd go to like people's houses to eat and I'd just be like, you can't like, don't like just eat. And you can't sing at the table. You can't like do anything. And I would like start singing. And I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they're like, what? Like, you know, no singing at the table, but it was like for our own safety because we were like joking on our food mm-hmm. <laughs> every meal. That's hysterical. Yeah, that's a, that's a happy scene. Just y'all just singing at the singing table. Singing at the table. Yeah, we, ne- we didn't that do like, that. Is that like sound sing, sound so. of music? <laughs> yeah, it feels like Joanna lived in sound of music. I did. Up. I did. Gosh. Um. <laughs> okay. Well, for mine, um, my mom would leave for work earlier than uh, when me and my siblings would go to school in the mornings. And so it was a, a rule that when we left the house to go walk to school, we had to call our mom and say, hey, we're leaving the house, like just letting you know. And um, I remember sitting in Mrs. Fetty's second grade class. Mrs. Fetty, if Fetty. you're listening. <laughs> oh no, she was like 80 when I had her. There's no way this girl is still around. Dang. Anyway. <laughs> what if she's a fighter? You know what? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but I remember Miss sitting- Miss Fetty, we hope you're there. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> she made me cry once. Oh. Um, anyway, I, I remember sitting in her class one day and we didn't call our mom. Like me and my brothers, we didn't call our mom before we left walk to school and I remember the you know the like the box with like the over what what's the speaker speaker called you know what I'm talking about the oh, intercom yeah. intercom mm-hmm. yeah yeah goes uh Mrs. Fetty is Allie Pierce in class today <laughs> <laughs> and she said yes yes she is and she said okay thank you and, and, and she's like one. excuse me but it's actually Eileen <laughs> I just don't correct people anymore 
<laughs> and sometimes when I go to a coffee shop, I'll tell them my name is AJ just because yeah, some, they say Allie and Eileen right. and it just, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh. <laughs> no. Correct you. them, Eileen. <laughs> mm, you should correct them. I've stopped correcting people on my last name too though, which is not as big of a deal as your first name, but. <laughs> So <laughs> anyway, Leviticus. A- anyway, speaking of Leviticus, I th- actually think <laughs> some of these are great kind of segues because like for Jacob specifically, you had this rule that was very specific to your context. Like mm-hmm. it actually was very practical and helpful. Whereas me being in California, not having the same weather or the same, like I didn't grow up in a rural area. I didn't have, it was like totally different. I look at your rule. I'm like, that's silly. That's ridiculous. Like, why would why would anybody have that rule? And we do the same thing when we look back at the book of Leviticus and we look back at some of these Old Testament laws and we even sometimes come up with this like, man, is God sexist? Like, especially in the ways that these laws for women back then are different than for men and they have really weird standards that they have and and so it's it's very similar in the way that in order to understand these laws, we have to get some context and we have to try and the best that we can put ourselves back into that situation, into that setting. And so we're going to try and dive, dive into a very specific one. There's a lot of different laws that we could talk about. We're going to talk about purity laws for, for women specifically in Leviticus 12. Ayla, will you, will you read Leviticus 12? It's only eight verses. I'd love to. So I'm reading from NIV. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until, wow, I said go really northerny. I'm so sorry, that that totally threw me off. Um, On the eighth day, verse- (laughs) Hell. (laughs) Verse three. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. And then, then- I'm never reading again. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Whew. Great job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, if you're reading this, especially with only a modern Western context, like you read this and it's just what in the world is going on here? Why is God making calling someone unclean for very normal and natural cycles and situations that he actually created for for humans and for women specifically, and yet they have to go through 
extreme lengths to be restored or be made clean or be purified. And so like we're going to try and tackle a few of these questions today, but let's start with the context. Like what's going on here? Yeah. So these clean, unclean purity laws aren't coming out of nowhere. Um, in the book before Exodus, at the very end of the book, we see the setting up of the tabernacle. And what the tabernacle is, is a place for um, people to basically be with the Lord or for the Lord to dwell with his people. And so it's a place where heaven can meet earth and basically where the Lord dwells on the earth. Um, and this is really important because this is the first time since the Garden of Eden before the fall that the Lord is doing this, that he's wanting to dwell with his people. So this is a big deal. Um, and we see all the setup of the tabernacles, very intricate. And then the establishing of the priesthood and the priesthood are the people that basically intercede on behalf of the people um, that are supposed to be representatives of living a holy life. And they live basically their whole lives in obedience to the Lord on behalf of the people um, of Israel. Um, and the ordination process is a really big deal. It's like yeah. seven whole days of just, just ritual. And it's like this huge process. And then on the eighth day is when they start their jobs officially. And so some of the important characters in the story are Aaron and Aaron is the high priest and his sons have also been ordained as priests. Um, but on the first day of the job, Aaron's two sons um, enter the tabernacle and burn unauthorized fire. So basically just performing a ritual that the Lord has not commanded them to perform. Um, and so are kind of taking circumstances and matters into their own hands. Like we would call that kind of like irreverent. They're not yes. taking it seriously. Yes. Yeah. Like first day of the job, they're not taking it seriously. Um, and they're lighting this or unauthorized fire. Um, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes them, kills them immediately. Um, and later we find out that they were drinking on the job. Um, and so they weren't really all there. Um, and they're, the people are commanded not to grieve for them because they, they sinned against the Lord and they didn't do what they were called to as priests, as representatives of the people. Um, and so after all this goes down, Moses comes to Aaron and is talking to the people and basically outlines these laws of, well, we probably shouldn't be drinking if you're in the priesthood, if we're approaching the Lord and if we are like representing the people as um, examples of holy living, there's probably things that we shouldn't be doing um, when we want to be doing that. And so making this distinction between what is impure and what is unclean, because the Lord is pure and the Lord is holy. And so when we interact with him, there are just some things that we don't bring into that. And so these um, unclean and clean laws, um, the ones concerning women that we just read, they actually fall under this broader um, body of laws that are talking about um, clean and unclean food, like what we know as kosher food and what isn't, and childbirth and skin diseases and bodily fluid discharge. Like there's all these laws concerning all these different things. And the one concerning women is one of those body of laws. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. That's really well said. Thanks, Joanna. 
And so in that first verse that we read, it says, or I guess the second verse, it says, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. And then it says, as at, a, as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And so I think in order to really tackle this, we need to understand what is he trying to, what does he mean by unclean? What is he trying to say? What does this word even mean, especially to this original audience? Yeah, whenever I hear that from like my context, I hear clean and unclean. It's like dirty, like I got dirt on my hands, but it seems like that's not maybe what's going on because that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, just like y'all are saying, we have to read it in the right context and remember who is being spoken to originally um, and take into account the fact that we are many, many, many years removed and have our own cultural experiences. And so um, before we get into clean and unclean, we can take one step further um, and talk about holiness um, because this is, oh my gosh, the central focus of everything that's going on. And so- Maybe even- everything that's going on in the whole Bible. Whoa, Whoa. crazy. That's a big claim. (laughs) I'm here for it. Um, So when we think of holy, um, we often hear uh, the definition, you know, set apart. Um, And that's, that's totally right. I mean, being holy, we think of God and how he is, he's set apart, he's different. Um, And when we think of um, people or um, uh, like materials being holy, it's because they're in proximity to God or they're connected to God. So like you had the objects um, in the tabernacle that were consecrated, they were holy. Um, so so God is holy, he's set apart. That's what that word means. And so the um, like the opposite of that is unholy or common. And so um, in scripture, we see God being holy and then everything he creates, which includes human beings, we are we are not holy, we're common. And, and that's not bad, it's, it's just different. Um, and so when we look at commonness, that's where we can get into those words of clean or unclean. And that's what we're seeing in Leviticus. And so as human beings, we are either, we are common, but in our commonness, we are either in a state of being clean or unclean. And words that can also translate, um, uh, that can be interchanged with clean and unclean are pure or impure. Um, And so this is not having to do with sinfulness or like being morally, you know, wrong. It's, it's just a state of being. And so there are so many different ways of which people can be in states of being pure and impure. Can I double click on that for a second? Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. I really like what you said there. And I, th- I think it might be the central thing to understand these passages mm-hmm. is that being unclean does not mean that you are in sin. Mm-hmm. I think from our 21st century context in the church, we think impure automatically means sin. Now sin mm-hmm. can lead to that, but it doesn't equate to that. It's not the same thing. And so when we're reading this verse and it says that a woman is unclean because she had a kid or a woman is unclean because of her monthly cycle, that does not mean she has done something wrong. Sorry, I just wanted to like make that yeah, very, yeah. very evident. No, I'm glad you did because we see throughout scripture different instances where people are unclean or impure and it's not for bad things. It's simply, um, well, a lot of the times having to do with bodily fluids because those, um, and I don't know if we're going to get into this later at some point, but like 
those things that are often considered impure have to do with life and life is so sacred to the Lord. And so, um, when in this, uh, in this passage specifically, it's talking about childbirth. And so childbirth, oh my gosh. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever in health class had to watch the video of a baby being born. Mm -hmm. There are bodily fluids everywhere. Uh, I've watched it in person. Oh yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so like things like, um, blood during your menstrual period or their childbirth or male reproductive fluids, like all of these things have to do with life and life is sacred. And so when we look at this passage and when we look at passages throughout the Bible and, and I mean, honestly, Leviticus like 11 through 15 <laughs> talks a lot about this. These things are considered impure because it's, it's taking the potential of life and it's almost going through like a, like a mourning process or a process of, okay, it's no longer going to be life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that I actually think the whole blood or, or semen, like these, these things representing life are also crucial to, to understanding why these laws seem to be so important. And so like when a woman's on her period, there's blood. And so to, I know it sounds super simplistic and maybe for some of you it sounds a little archaic, but blood represented life. And so every month it was, it was like a little bit of, she was losing a little bit of the potential for life. Mm -hmm. And when, uh, you know, during pregnancy and when, when a child was born, there's, there's blood and yes, there's life being created, but, but the blood that represents life and, there's other laws that we won't talk about today for for men specifically, like wet dreams, nocturnal emissions. And it's like, man, when when semen leaves the body, that's a loss of the potential of of life, at least as, as they would see it. And so what what's what's clear is that God cares about about life. And a lot of these laws revolve around this this potential of life. And even when you look at some of the sacrifices and mm-hmm. what to do with the blood, what not to do with the blood, mm-hmm. that's that central theme in, in Leviticus, which we'll do, we'll do some gospel ties later, but this idea of blood representing life, actually, I think like relates to us today. We're yeah. not there yet. Yeah. Well, even look at Leviticus seventeen fourteen. it literally says, you know, life is in the blood. Mm-hmm. And so that's just even emphasizing that. Wait, part. what can wash away our... No, stop. We're not there yet. <laughs> not We're not there yet. No singing at the dinner table, oh. Joshua. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. And that, that idea of uh, life and what is representing life or a part of life being um, such a big deal is part of the part of the aspect of God being holy, like he's the standard of holiness. He's like the, the ultimate holiness is that he is the source of all life, which is one, why he cares so much about life, but it is that distinction between us as his creation and him, that he is the source of all life and we receive life from him. We have an ability to bring about life, like we're talking about with childbirth and things like that, um, but we are mortal, which makes us common, highly, like you said. And so, and so kind of just going off of that, why does God care about life so much? Why does God care about holiness so much? Why does God care about cleanliness or purity so much? What's the purpose of even just having entire books of the Bible dedicated to laws and, and purity and holiness? Yeah, that's uh, thinking back to Jonah, where you're talking about the context in which this sits, um, which are these laws that God primarily gives to 
allow or to provide a way for a sinful people who have multiple times beforehand rejected his presence to still be able to live in his presence. And it's gotten, um, each time that the people rejected him, it's gotten more challenging to do so. Um, whenever Aaron and Moses bring the people to Mount Sinai where the whole Ten Commandments thing happens and then um, Aaron ends up doing the golden calf thing, the the, per, the original plan there was that God's presence would dwell with them there and there wouldn't be this tabernacle, there wouldn't be all these things, but they are afraid of God. And they're like, no, we don't want to be in your presence. That's where the tabernacle comes from. And so this idea of, okay, well, if you want to be able to experience God's presence as an entire people, um, then you have to follow these guidelines that God has given. And this isn't, even then they wouldn't have viewed this as this like strict rule following to appease God rather that, oh my gosh, we're not even going to be able to get into his presence unless we live by these guidelines that he's graciously given us. Um, and is really a way to help us live in such a way that even gives us access to him. Uh, and so that's really the biggest thing. These yeah. purity laws, these way to live, these rituals, um, consecrating things. It is in order to be in God's presence. And one big aspect of this uh, is that uh, the guys over at Bible Project talked about this. I'm giving them full credit because they have an incredible <laughs> they, podcast. They on need this. to give. They need to get full credit for this entire podcast. <laughs> we we learned a lot from them. Uh, yeah, what they're talking about in writing. Uh, but what Eileen talked about, how things that are common are not bad. Common is not bad. And things that are common can either be pure or impure. And that's not wrong either. But the the thing to focus on is that transition between pure and impure. And especially whenever you're impure and then you come back to pure, the whole process as to how you go about doing that. One, it's a process to bring you back into being able to fully experience God's presence. And um, participate in the normal... Everyday life. Yeah, yeah the, yeah, the, the rituals, How he has designed yeah. us uh, to live. But also, whenever you go through um, all of those ceremonies and rituals, which are very different depending on the circumstance, uh, that is to draw attention to the fact that God is holy, uh, that he does care about life. And it's a reminder to this greater context to which God has pursued us and he's bringing us in. He's providing a way to come into his presence. And so just like you said, the whole the holiness across the whole spectrum of the Bible, that that is a huge theme that all of these rest in. When you go from impure to pure, and the reason that God cares so much about that, and specifically how you go about going from impure to pure is because it is pointing to who he is who we are as his good creation, but that apart from him, there is something deficient and that, that he has provided a way to come back into that. That's so good. When you look to the garden before sin came in the world, Adam and Eve, they walked with God without having to perform these sacrifices. And when we look uh, today, and we'll, I'm trying not to get to the gospel ties just yet. <laughs> There's one more thing I wanna talk about, but we look today, we. Christians don't have to uh, offer these sacrifices or go through these these cleansing rituals in order to be with God and be in the presence of God. Um, I wish there was just some modern day example that would kind of help us understand what these like seven days of like isolation or separation. It's like, man, it's sometimes for Israel, it wasn't only that they were, you know, impure or unclean because of 
menstruation or not like a, a nocturnal emission or anything like that. But but even when they would come into contact with with someone, they would have to then go through this whole cleansing process, isolation, quarantine. <gasps> Whoa. Qu- what? Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second. What if we have an example like that? As funny as it sounds, uh, and this is also a Bible project that <laughs> showed me this, COVID is actually probably the, the clearest example. It's not a perfect example, but maybe the clearest example that we could give of like, hey, not only if you had COVID, would you go through this whole process of like, separation and quarantine and isolation and masking and doing these things for a certain period of time in order to be brought back into the normal flow and rhythm of society. But even if you came into contact with someone that had COVID or had tested positive, even if they weren't symptomatic, you then also had to be in in this whatever, how many day quarantine and isolation and and this whole cleansing process in order to be brought back into society. And so it's it's not a perfect example, but I think it's interesting that we can can see that, oh yeah, like this would have been similar to what Israel was doing. Like if you're if your mom or your dad died and you were anywhere near a dead body, like, hey, you because life has been lost, you have because blood has been spilt, you you are now ceremonially unclean and have to go through this process, even if you're just in the same room as them, even if you're just somewhere like in close contact. And so I think that that for me, that kind of like flipped the switch of like, oh, okay, it's not a perfect example, but but it'd be something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a good example. And so to bring us home, as we think about, that's great for them back then. Okay, I can kind of wrap my mind around this how does this apply to us today? What does this mean for us today? Trying to follow Jesus in the 21st century. Like does, does any of this matter for us? Well, I think this can come up in conversations when people uh, may have issues with Christianity. Uh, I mean, I remember being in college and having a friend say, you know, I, I just think Christianity isn't for me because your God actually hates women. (laughs) And she pointed to this passage and she was like, see, like he's just really sexist and I'm just not about that. And I was like, oh wow. Okay. That's really interesting actually. (laughs) Um, And so I think this is so important because, you know, we have to be able to understand what the Bible is saying and be able to wrestle with the hard questions of like, okay, yeah, at surface level, this seems a little weird. Like it's, it's foreign to us because it's literally in a foreign context. And so we do have to do the work to understand these things and, and find resources that are trustworthy and, and understand what's going on so that we can respond to friends and family who have questions about these things too. Yeah, that's really good. I think, I think what's crazy, and as we just talked about us today, we as Christians in order to to be in the presence of God, we don't have to go through these these cleansing processes. We oh, don't, you don't? I don't. Oh, as men, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> men and women alike do not have to go through that, and it's because something happened when Jesus came. He he 
he flipped something in order for us to no longer have to go through these these processes, this this cleansing process for being pure or impure. And I think to start, when we look at that, we should look at kind of who the people he he healed were, who he interacted with. And, and a great example is in Matthew 9 and verse 18. It says, uh, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Pause. Based on this context, if Jesus were to do that, he would be ceremonially unclean according to the Torah. Because he touched a dead body. Because he was not, yeah, not only in the vicinity, but also he had touched a dead body. He would be ceremonially unclean. But it says, Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And on the way, it says, behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Pause round two. She has this discharge of blood for 12 years. She would have been in a constant state of being ceremonially unclean. She would have had to have gone through these rituals time and time and time again, way more than just this like this monthly cleansing. This would have been almost a constant thing. She would have been seen as an an outcast, an outsider, because she wouldn't have been able to participate in the normal rhythms of life. And she comes up and touches the fringe of his garments. And because she thought to herself, if only I can touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And then when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, they're, they're having a funeral already. He said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. It says they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. Again, touched her and the girl arose and the report of this went throughout all the district. And notice what we see and what what we don't see. So I'm kind of going into like pastor mode here, like preacher mode. Uh, What what we see is that Jesus was not afraid to go into these places that were seen as, as unclean. He wasn't afraid to go in and interact and to touch them and to like heal them. And, and so what we don't see is Jesus going through these cleansing processes is afterwards. And what a, a lot of commentators think and what, what most people are, are saying is that Jesus is completely flipping this narrative. It says he has not come to abolish the law, but he's come to fulfill the law. And so what Jesus is doing here is because he is already perfectly holy, right? He's, there's no part of him that's impure. There's no part of him that's, sorry, I should say, there's no part of him that's unholy. He actually has the, he's the only one that has the ability to step into the impurity and the uncleanliness and actually flip it. Instead of him being made unclean because of her discharge, because of him being, instead of him being made unclean because of uh, her being dead or being in the in the presence of, someone that's dead or touching a dead body, he's actually flipping it where life would have been lost leading to uncleanliness. He's actually restoring and giving life. And so it's, it's crazy to see that. Obviously this all 
So he does this with lepers. He does this with women with discharge. He does this with dead bodies. All of this climaxing in this sacrifice. When we talk about the death of Jesus, his blood being the atonement for our sin, we're saying that the author of Hebrews would say he made the payment because of his perfection and holiness once for all time. The whole sacrificial system, the whole Levitical system was fulfilled in that moment because his perfect holiness restored all the uncleanliness, restored all the impurity. And now because of him, when you say you're in Christ, you have perfect access with God through the Holy Spirit because of his perfection, because of his cleanliness, because of his purity and holiness. And so we stand here today through the spirit, by the blood of Jesus, notice blood of Jesus. And we say we have direct access to God because Jesus made the way. So sorry, I just went on like a 10 minute preaching. <laughs> that, that's all that needs to be said. And right that's there. the gospel. <laughs> that's the gospel. Anything to add? Sorry, I, I, I talked way too much. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That is, that is the gospel that we need to live by in all aspects of life. And, and to remember that, um, Again, we, we don't live in the context where we have these things that necessarily make us especially unclean before God, but that, you know, whenever, whenever we think about our own lives and if, if we sin in some capacity, God has already paid for that through Jesus. And if whenever we think about, oh, I've become impure in some way, I've, I've, yeah, I've tainted myself in some way. Well, if you're in Christ, Jesus has already covered that. And that is, that is a reality that is oftentimes really hard to believe about mm. ourselves. That is one of the most freeing things, whenever you can believe it. And as you, as you believe it more and more and more consistently, that, that is the freedom that is the gospel. And that's something that I, I tell myself all the time. I, it comes up in conversation with others all the time. And it is because Jesus is both perfectly holy, pure, and brings that life and purity to our lives mm. permanently. That's so good. And so... Part of part of the reason that God even instituted some of these these laws, I, I think this this might air more on an opinion, but was to continue to remind His people of their need for Him. Mm-hmm. Continue to remind them that that hey, there's something missing that can be fulfilled only in God's perfect holiness and righteousness. And so, part of that that cleansing process was this reminder of. Of, of a need for, for, for God. And so to tie that into today, this confession piece you're talking about, man, when, when we as Christians sin, it's this reminder of, wow, there's still this piece of brokenness in me. There's still this piece. I, I, I need God just as much as I ever have. And so confession doesn't have to be this like daunting terrible thing. In fact, confession is is a gift, just like cleansing actually seen in its proper perspective would have been a gift. And so John says in 1 John 1, he says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so just a practical takeaway to end this podcast. If you're at home and you're feeling like you're feeling impure or you're feeling like unholy and you're feeling separated from God, know that the path has been made through the blood of Jesus. We have access to God and all you got to do is go to him. And if there's things that you regret and things that, that you need to confess, 
go to him knowing the promise that if you confess your sins to God, he's already forgiven you. He's already paid the price and he's, he's going to cleanse you. I love the way that we um, just kind of drew out those main ideas with um, sacrifice and holiness and who God is and the gospel and all of that. But I think looking back to just Leviticus 12, I mean, there are so many questions that we can still ask that we aren't going to have the time to talk about today. And so continue to look at this passage and ask a lot of questions like, you know, why is a woman unclean for a longer amount of time with a girl than a boy? Like look into these things, ask us these things. We're here as a resource for you. Um, But just remember that, that, impurity does not mean that you are morally in sin um, and and just continue to to learn and study the Bible and love Jesus as you do it. Mm, that's so good. Well, Fellowship College Podcast, we love you. We care about you. And until next time, grace, grace, grace and, and peace. peace.